can, you can sit somewhere else if you like. If you've found a new friend, you can just sit right there. And Good morning. So once again, uh, we, we welcome everybody here this morning. We're glad that you're with us. And we also want to welcome those that will discover us and listen to us on the podcast. And we're, we want to say, give you a shout out. Um, but this morning, we uh, the special, this is a special Sunday. Very special Sunday. Um, I have the privilege of praying for little Bridget and uh, with Jaron and Whitney and their families with us. So if you guys want to come up, we'll uh, we'll pray. Yes, you have to come up too. Yeah. This is a family affair. Whitney's shy. Yes, she is. So this is Jaron and Whitney, and this is Bridget. Jaron, yeah, there you go. And um, I'm going to claim these guys. Jaron's my nephew, and I'm very proud of them both. Whitney, very proud of you too. And I've been praying. Let me have her. If she starts crying, you can have her back. <laughs> All right, girl, how are you doing? See, normally when we go over and visit, you know, I don't get any child time because Lisa takes it all. <laughs> so I, I, this is when I really get my time in, right here. This is it, baby. Right? Yeah. There you go. Okay. I don't mind. But, you know, um, there's a lot to be said about names. I've been really praying. I've been really, and the fact that you named her Bridget, I thought, man, Lord, that's... And then I was thinking about growing up with you guys and Sawyer and the family. And, and uh, my, my sense was and is, and I wanna, is that she's going to be a very social young lady. And, but it's going to be just more than just, you know, she's going to be very attractive with a very attractive personality and she's going to connect people. And uh, it's, a, it's a gift. It's, uh, it's, I'd call it a social gift, but she's going to be able to do that, and, she's, and it's, it's because of the presence of God. You know? So, so in a way, in a way of blessing, would you just kind of raise your hand uh, towards us here, and, we say, and towards um, Jaron and Whitney? And Lord, we ask that you would be all that and more for the Halford family, Lord. And that this young lady, will, this little, little girl will grow up to be just a, a woman of kindness, wisdom, and she'd be courageous also in the things that you've given her. I pray that you keep her and you bless her and you use her in a mighty way. I pray for Jaron and Whitney, Lord, that they would be just extremely gracious parents and they would be really focused on uh, the, as they guide their children 
And as they live, as they grow a family together, that you would lead them as they lead their family. That your hand of blessing would be upon them, and you would keep them, and you'd use them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Got it? All right. It's going to be fun to watch. Good job. There you go, yeah. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you. This morning, uh, as I give my talk, I'm actually starting a series. And um, it's a, a series that where I am just really putting together the purposes of Jesus. And uh, we're going to use all four Gospels. And, and so if you're here with us this morning... Um, we're grateful that you are here. We're grateful that you're with us today. And um, whatever your background is, uh, what, if you have a background and you're here this morning and you go, you know, I, I've heard a lot about Jesus, and from what I can tell, I don't like him. Um, I've heard about what he wants from me. I've heard about all the things that I'm supposed to do and that I'm not, that I shouldn't do, and he just, I just feel like knowing this Jesus guy means he's controlling my life. And um, the truth is, that's not the Jesus I read about. That's not the Jesus I know. So as we go through this journey together, my prayer is for each and every one of us that we discover Jesus for who he says he is. And that you and I discover that together. And whatever your background, maybe, maybe you're here this morning because you, you, uh, you, know, you grew up in a, a home and you went to church and went to Sunday school and you believe in God and you're, you're really trying to refigure it all out. So I invite you to come hang with us for a while as we go through this, this series together and maybe you, you'll reconnect with Jesus in, in a way that brings life. And in a way that brings a sense of fulfillment. So, we're going to uh, start by, um, by saying that Jesus came to bring something brand new. To bring something brand to, to the world. Something very brand new to the world and for the world. That's why he came. He came to bring something totally different than what the existing world, and we're speaking of there in uh, Jordea and Galilee and Samaria and all those places. He came to bring something brand new and to fulfill everything that was said in the Old Testament. Understanding that, you know, Moses, the lawgiver, you know, after he got done giving the law, I know we understand the Big Ten, but when he got done in Leviticus and all of that, there was like 600. I'm, I'm already kind of going, I'm done. I'm not going to make it. 600. So, uh, so, so you have there Moses the lawgiver, 
And then you have the temple. The temple there in Jerusalem. With all the temple workers and the high priest and everybody else that made the temple work from from day in and day out. Where they come and, and give sacrifices for their shortcomings and their sins. And they had different many levels of sacrifices. And in that temple where the presence of God existed also was this little court called the court of Gentiles. And you're going, well, who's a Gentile? Everybody that isn't a Jew at that time. Everybody outside of Judaism was a Gentile. And so they had this little gathering place where they could come and and kind of see what's going on. And after that, you couldn't go any further unless you became a proselyte or you became uh, you proselyted into Judaism. And that's how the temple worked. And so, uh, if you read in Luke, and Luke was a physician, and you read that first, very first verses of Luke, he talks about how meticulously he did his research. How he made sure, chronologi- chronologically, everything was pu- put in place. How he was not just discovering and, and wanting to write down exactly what took place. So this isn't just Bible story. This is history. Bonafide reality history. And then he, you see that he wrote this, his gospel to Theopolis. Now where we're going to pick it up is Jesus is an adult and we're introducing John the Baptist. And so if you have your Bibles with me, you can start by turning to Luke chapter 3. And he begins and says, It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was the governor over Judea. Herod Agrippa was a ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was a ruler over Eturia. And uh, Tricon- Triconus, or Tis, or whatever. And then uh, Licinius was uh, ruler over Abilene, Ab- Ab- and Ananias and Caiaphas were the high priest. So Luke begins to set the stage. So this is what was going on. This was who's doing what. This is the rulers, and these are the high priests during the season. And he goes on to say, At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Speaking of John the Baptist. And so the word of the Lord came, and John the Baptist comes and starts baptizing people at the the River Jordan, which is about a day's walk from Jerusalem. And so he's baptizing, and, and we can only assume it's hundreds, possibly thousands, but he's got this crowd coming to the River Jordan, and he's baptizing. He's baptizing for the remissions of sin. And he got the notice, or the attention, of those up in Jerusalem. The word got out. There's a baptizer. John the Baptist, the baptizer, is baptizing people in the River Jordan. And you don't do that. You don't do that. 
If you're going to get baptized, now they did baptize people, and they baptized Gentiles into Judaism. That was the only baptisms that were taking place. So you didn't go out baptizing people in the name of God. Because that's what the priests did in Jerusalem, in the house of God. That was built by Herod. A beautiful place. So he um, was getting people's attention, to say the least, right? Goes on, and Matthew, Matthew tells us, and people from Jerusalem and from all over Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. So look, you understand, if you've, re- if you've read anything about the Bible, if you've been in Sunday school, you know that John was kind of a rough-looking character, right? I mean, you got this rough-looking character coming, and all these people are being drawn to him, and they're being baptized. I mean, it's kind of, let's be honest. Isn't that kind of an oxymoron? You got this rough guy coming with the word of the Lord, and, and, and he says things that really just grip people's hearts. And so they got people from all over coming down to the Jordan, and he's baptizing them. Actually, he said he was dressed in camel hair. I'm sure he smelt really good. I mean, I'm just trying to paint an accurate picture of what's going on here. Goes on to say, and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Confess their sins, their separation from God. And then picking up in John, it says he tells tell about the and he told them about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. So he began to say, There's a light. There's one coming. There's one coming after me. He began to, he began to tell everybody about the one coming. And you understand that Malachi, the last uh, uh, the the last letter, the last book, the last prophet, written prophet in the Old Testament is Malachi. And you know there in chapter 4 it talks about, and there's one and the spirit of Elijah will come. And all of a sudden people are thinking, you can just tell, the people are thinking, is this it? 400 years later, is this it? Is this God coming? Is, all, is it finally happening? 400 years of silence, God not speaking for 400 years. And then Elijah shows up. Not Elijah, John the Baptist, excuse me. And, he, and it, what it says there in chapter 4, and he, this, this spirit of Elijah will turn the hearts of the father back to the kids and back to God. There'll be a sense of community coming back, a desire to live once again under the leadership in the hand of the living God, moving across the face of the earth. John went on to say, John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I'm talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. And so he's baptizing. People are repenting of their sins. People like you and me. People just like us. We're coming and being baptized 
for the remissions of their sin. And then John began, there's one coming. Now remember, Isaiah 40 talks about 800 years earlier, 800 years earlier, talked about the one who screams out from the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, John the Baptist. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And he's there, and he's talking about the one who is before him, but is coming after him, and he's preparing the people. So the time was changing. There was a shift going on. And John the Baptist was the beginning of that shift. A preparation. There was no longer going to be any more, you know, uncompassionateless religion. No more legal loopholes. God was setting a new tone on the face of the earth. And he began this tone with the one that was spoken about 800 years beforehand. The one who comes from the wilderness and cries out, prepare ye the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was doing that. And it was no longer going to be legalism. No longer have-tos, but get-tos. No longer, you know, just trying to go into this temple uh, area and appease God. Something was changing. It was going to be grace and truth was given through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth is being given through Jesus Christ. He was setting something brand new, and not just for an ethnic people, but for the world. Not just for a chosen few, but a a global outreach. An outreach that is timeless and sustains through time. Through the one. And so, the temple sends down some people. Now, they weren't the priests the rabbis or the Sanhedrin, but there are scribes, lawyers, people that knew the word, and people that knew the law. And he says, go find out who this guy is. Go check him out. I mean, we got all the people. They're not, well, they're not outside. They're out somewhere, and they're about a day's away. So they go out there, and they start talking to John. And they're going, who are you? And John says, He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, I can't go back and say who you're not. We want to know who you are. And he said, well, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one that the prophets spoke about from Genesis to Malachi. And it's even from Genesis to Revelation. I'm not that one. And they go on and said, okay, if you're not him, who are you? Who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? He goes, no, I'm not him. I'm John. You know about Elijah. I know about Elijah, but I'm John. Okay, if you're not Elijah, 
They knew what Malachi said. They understood what Malachi 4 said. And they were saying, are you him? No, I'm not him. Okay, then are you a prophet? He said no. But he was. But he, he said no. He didn't see himself. I'm just a voice. I'm just, I'm just a guy. You know, I eat honey and locusts from the wilderness. I got a word from the Lord, and I'm giving it. I'm just giving it. The word of the Lord. I'm just giving it. My whole life has been prepared for this. I'm out here to do this. They go on and said, then who are you? We need an answer to those who sent us. What do, you want us to say? what do you want us to say about yourself? What do you want us to say? How do you want us to communicate? And John replied, in the word of the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice, Isaiah 40, I am the voice shouting in the wilderness, clear or prepare the way, for the Lord is coming. He's coming. He's coming. They knew that. They knew he was coming. They knew the Old Testament inward and outward. They knew everything. They knew every prophecy that has ever been written. They knew it. They knew he was coming. And John just said, he's coming. He is coming. Well, they went back. And the high priest and the Pharisees were not satisfied. You know, you can just imagine. You want something done, you got to do it yourself, right? Right? You know? So here they come. They leave Jerusalem. They're heading to the Jordan River. And, you know, so they're probably come. They got their buffet with them. They got their entourage. You know, they got all these people. They got, you know, they're in their shade. I mean, they had a crowd. They had a crowd. And they're moving in. And there John sees them coming down the hill. I wish I was there. What did it say? I probably would have, if it was me, my personality that I am right now, probably say, this is going to be interesting. It's probably going to be fun. And I'd probably try to get as close to the action as I could just to see how it was all going to pan out. And so here they come. And then the Pharisees show up. And they said, Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, If you aren't the Messiah, so they had a conversation, and if you're not Elijah or, or a prophet, then what right do you have to baptize? What authority is what they're saying? You're not one of us. You don't work within our walls. What authority do you have? Now remember, in their minds, there's only two issues. There's a temple and the law of Moses. That's it. And, buddy, you don't fit in either one of them. That's what they're saying. So what gives you the right or the authority to do this? <laughs> I think it's a good question. And then John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in this crowd is someone that you don't recognize. 
right here. He's in our midst. And I just want to add to that right there. The Bible says, wherever there's two or three in the name of Jesus, he is in the midst. We thank you for your presence, Lord. Though his ministry follows mine, John being very clear, I'm not even worthy, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. John just landed, I am not worthy to even be his servant or his slave. Although I would count it a privilege if it was so. I'm not even worthy to kneel down and untie his shoes. Another account goes this way. But when, the, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. I love this. He denounced them. Man, this guy's got some stuff. Right? I mean, he's been out there by himself way too long. Doesn't he know who's coming towards them? And they're full of their garb. I mean, these guys are looking like prestigious. I mean, it's... Let's put it, it's like the president coming our way. You know, bad, bad example, somebody else. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, it's that kind of prestige. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get you to get in your head. You don't do this. You just don't do this and live. So when they're coming, not only do they have their, their entourage, but they also have temple guards with them. And they're coming. And the Spirit of God is, is on John. And he goes, you brood of snakes, as it comes coming down like this, you know. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and you've turned to God. Prove by your example that you're servants of God. That's what John is saying. He goes on and, and says, This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The next day, John says, sees Jesus coming to him and he says, He says, He, says, he sees him coming. And he goes, look, here he comes. He doesn't say, believe. He says, look, he's coming. Turn your eyes that direction for, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look. Look at the Lamb of God who takes away not only the sins of Israel, remembering that Jesus came to bring something brand new. Look who's coming. Jesus, who takes away the sins of the world. The sins of the world. 
Now, understanding the political climate didn't allow for this. The political climate, and also, and when I mean by political, their understanding of prophecy. Remember that in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, Israel, was God's chosen people. And if he was to do anything global, it was going to be through them. Right? Well, he just, he, just, he just said something totally outside of that. Also understanding the backdrop, the political backdrop is that, they, that they were concerned about is having all this gathering of people coming and uniting. And here's John. They're kind of a little worried about what the Romans would do. Because how they dealt with people, those people that did not respond to them, or anybody that would say, hey, there's the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world, really is a slap in their face. And how they they were very cruel. Romans, their culture, anything that defied them, they just stomped. And they did it as ugly as they could. They were a very cruel society, a conquering society. And so in that whole arena, you have that taking place. Where the Pharisees saying, look, you don't want Pontius Pilate to come to this. You don't want the Romans to get involved because it's going to be painful for all of us. Look, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Amen, right? Amen. So Jesus was and is a bridge between the old and the new covenants. The Bible is clear. He fulfilled everything in the Old Testament over and over again. Let me give you an example. You have heard it said, Matthew 5. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard them say this, but I say to you. You've heard it explained this way. I can explain it the right way. He was the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and he was also the beginning of the, of the new. That would, pen it, would, would go global. Where we have acts. But here's the deal. Those who profit, those who profit the most from the static quo are the least inclined to let go. Think about it. Let me put it another way. Hard habits, old habits are hard to break. Well, we've always done it this way. Why would we change? You know, aren't we not the chosen people of God? Let, let, let's just move it forward a little bit. You know, I heard, I read, read a story about uh, a church. This is, and this is a true story. I read a story about a church where the pastor said, let's take the piano from here and bring it over here. And everybody goes, well, why would we do that? 
Well, why not? Well, we like it. We've always had it this way. This is the way it's always been. Why do we want to change it? Well, why not? I mean, what's the big deal? We like it there. It's always been there. The pastor before you said this was the place of God where God lived, and this is where it's going to stay, right here. This is what he wanted to pin on right here. I mean, it has that kind of thought behind it. So the pastor, being a genius that he is, now listen to this. He moved that piano one inch at a time over there. <laughs> and by the time he got it over there, nobody said a word. Nobody said a word as it inched its way over. Little by little by little. I'm just trying to give you an example you can relate to, right? I thought that was a, that's a great example. I read that like 10, 10, 15 years ago. I never forgot it. I said, that's just the way people are. We do not like change. John the Baptist was ushering in change. He was chosen by God. He was Jesus' cousin, six months uh, younger, excuse me, six months older than Jesus. And his whole birth, his whole preparation was for the sole purpose of those very short period of time of ushering in Jesus, who he wasn't worthy to kneel, kneel down and undo his sandals, his shoelaces. So Jesus came to bring a new covenant, new commands, and a new movement. He came to start a, to, 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 to bring in a new covenant. Remember in Jeremiah 31, 31, 31, I am establishing a new covenant that I will write on the people's hearts. He said that through Jeremiah. Where he said, Behold, old things are passed away. And he said, all things are made new. Jesus is the new. And possibly there's some things, and, and possi even for me, this is kind of, there's some traditions that I have in my life that I've kind, of, I've kind of picked up along the way that aren't necessarily bad. They're not bad, but they're not necessarily Jesus, right? That's all I'm going to say. I'm not, I'm not here to point the finger at anybody. I'm not here to tell somebody else that what they're doing is wrong. My thought and suggestion is, but is it the best that Jesus has for you and I? Is it the best? In other words, is there more than what we know? Is there more than what we're experiencing? Is there more of Jesus? Maybe some of the traditions, maybe some of the things that we've been brought up under actually block that. I'm not saying they do, but maybe they do. Maybe they do. I know that some, some things in my own life have been extremely challenged as I, as I go through this series. And I, what, I, what I invite you to do is, okay, come and walk with us through it. You make your own choice. You make your own decision. What does Jesus say? Right? What does he say? What does he, what does he say about it? Here, I, I'm not, here again, I, again, I would never pick on anybody. But 
the traditions I grew up in, you always wear your best for Sunday morning. You always wear your best. Of course, when I came to Christ, my best wasn't much. So, but you know, you know, I, I started changing it. So, um, but my challenge would be, Jesus never said that. Now I'm saying I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do. I'm not saying that. I am not saying that. I wore ties for years. Okay, I'm not saying that. And if I thought it would help me preach the gospel more, I'd wear them for another bunch of years. Oh, God, please don't make me do that. But anyways, all my only point is, that's not a bad thing, but it becomes bad when we start judging people for not doing it. That's when it gets bad, right? Look, I, I, I used to go do pastor's conferences in Mexico all the time. I never went to a conference without wearing a tie because I wanted to honor the way, who they were. I wasn't there to change them. But my only point, I'm going to say this again because I think it's important. Does that create a barrier for people coming in and discovering Jesus because they don't own a suit? That's the only thing I'm saying. That's the only thing I'm saying. When we begin judging people from their exterior, I believe we've crossed the line. I'm just using that as one example. There's a bunch. I can spend a little time on this deal. And, and I would be pulling from my own stuff, not piggybacking on somebody else's, my stuff, my judgments on people. And the reason I brought that one is because I had done that. I had judged people. I've judged them. It's not right. Who are we? So Jesus came to bring a new covenant, new commands, and a new movement. And that's what we're going to build upon from here. We're going to take different examples through the Gospels, and we're going to, we're going to talk about them. And I pray that they'll be as, as inspirational to you as they are to me. Because I am going, this is probably one of the most important talks I'll ever give. Because it's a rediscovering of Jesus and his purposes in my life before him. And, and my, the way I view him and how I view other people through his lens. And then I, I begin to take, take my old lenses and I begin to clean them off. So I see things as Jesus sees them. Which I think is good practice for all of us. Let's have the worship team come forward. Now we're going to take our offering now. This is a great time to put your uh, Connect card in there. And I want to, I want to go and say this. If, if you're a guest with us today, please do not feel obligated. We understand that um, uh, we just don't want you to feel obligated. This is kind of the best way we figured out how to do some family community life. And... Uh, uh, and we do have an online giving on oasisvineyard.org. Uh, Oasis uh, and I want to go and say how grateful we are for your faithfulness to us. Uh, it's just, you, you guys are a blessing to us. And I know that giving is a sacrifice. And, and, it, and it, it, it's a sacrifice. It's a, it's a place of obedience. But it's also a place of joy. I mean, I was so touched by Lisa last week when she, when she took the offer, and I'm thinking, man, I, I was sitting there, and she kind of got a little emotional, and
And I thought, you know what? I need to be that emotional when it comes about giving my money. You know, I mean, I was really, I was really challenged, Lisa. You go, girl. Um, but I was, I was, because it's been a part of my life for such a long time. I just kind of do it automatically, and I, and I believe in it, and I do it. But you know what? I need to be connected to it in an emotional way that is good. It's not a have to, I get to. Yeah? So, it, you know, those kinds of things we can talk about more. But look, please come back and listen to what some of the other things we got to say. We're, we're going to talk about Jesus' temptations next week. And um, um, so come and hear what the crazy guy's got to say. Let's worship Tucson. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. So you may, may be seated just for just a second. It's not where the piano is. It's not in how we dress. It's our heart. It's just a matter of the heart. You know, so... so you know, I, I don't want to come across attacking anybody. It's always a matter of the heart. And that is where I've been challenged. Why do I feel the way I feel about this? Is it getting in my way of having the heart of Jesus? Is it stopping me from growing in my relationship with him? So I'm not saying, nor will I ever say, tradition is bad. I won't, I'm, not, I'm not here to attack anybody or anything or any institution or any church or any uh, movement or any denomination. That's not the point. The point is, are there things in our lives that keep us from entering into the fullness of everything that God has for us? And that's really, the, that's really what Jesus, and that's what John was saying. Look, man, look! The Lamb of God who comes and takes away the sin of the world. And there, you know, the Pharisees would have said, you can't say that. Because if that would be true, I would know first. Because I'm the high priest, right? I'm the one that goes in before the Lord once a year on behalf of the whole nation with little bells on my garment and a rope on my ankle in case God says, you're gone, buddy. And then they have to drag me out because nobody can go in there and get me. He's over there. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So if you're struggling and you're trying to even ask the question, does, does God like me? Does, care, does God care about me? Does, does, why am I the way I am? Who am I? Does God have a purpose for my life?
Let's discover that together. Let's walk together and discover that together. Because yes, yes, he does have a purpose in your life. Let's pray. Father, I want to just come before you this morning. And the first thing I want to say is if I said anything that is offensive, uh, Lord, forgive me. Um, and if I've said anything that can be misunderstood, I would say, Father, forgive me. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would just move in our midst this morning and that you would you'd captivate our hearts and our lives with your love right now. Whatever our traditions are, whatever our background is, whatever we household we grew up in, that this very moment you would captivate us with the presence of your love. The man Christ Jesus who walked the earth and died and rose again so that we might know love. And I ask these things this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if you're with it, we have a prayer team. If you like prayer, if you like to talk about any, some of these things, be more than happy to have a, a dialogue with you. We're so grateful that you've, you've chose to be with us this morning. And we, we look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. God bless all of you.